What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It is Candace, it is David, it is Isaac. Two of the three of the crew was in the FedEx Forum for the Game 5 win. Final score, 116 for the Grizzlies, 99 for the Fakers. Isaac, Game 7, the Grizzlies take it to Game 7. All three of us going to be in the Forum at the same time. Man, Game game 7, man, um, that, that would be awesome if they can yep. get there. Yeah, man, I'm pulling forward, man. It would be uh, a really good look, man, if they can go out to L.A. and the deck is going to be stacked against them. But mm-hmm. like I said, I feel like they're the better team. And I still feel like they haven't played a, a, a complete peak game yet. I feel like if, if the Grizzlies play their best and the Lakers play their best, I, be, I believe the Grizzlies are the better team. And that's what gives me confidence going in tomorrow night. And as I've said time and time again, they're just due. Uh, I mean, they're 0-5 at Crypto Arena. If you count the the, the loss to the Clippers and the four loss to the Lakers, um, they're like 0-16 as a, a road underdog this season. I mean, they're due for a regression to the mean game. And what what time? What better time than this one, man, to, to go out there, get a win, force game seven, uh, get it back to 191 on Bill on Sunday. And I think if they get there, all bets are off, man. And I, I give the Grizzlies a really good chance of pulling it out because they've only lost seven games on the home floor all year. So, Man, that that would be amazing, man. And I think they have a real good shot of it. Yep, 100% agree with that. It's They got to play one one really top-notch game. They got to play a complete game. You got to get more from Jaron. Um, you got to get consistent Luke minutes. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, I think coaching is going to be huge because uh, it's really just about decision-making at this point. I think the Grizzlies have the, the talent and the recipe to beat the Lakers. And it's just a matter of if they're going to be willing to do that or not. But uh, I agree. Um, We've seen flashes. I think even in game five, there were flashes of them being a complete team, but not consistent. Uh, And so uh, it's going to require that. And it's really interesting how this team went from last year being the king of underdogs and really pulling out a ton of, you know, uh, games that people didn't expect to having none. And like Isaac said, you – you hope there's an aggression, progression to the mean um, before the end of the season at some point. If now is the time to book the trend, it's now. It's no no better time to book the trend than now. And they they can do it, man. It's just a matter of, like I said, to me, to me it's going to come down to coaching. I, just, I think you got to make some serious decisions and you got to play like your life's on the line. Um, we'll see what that looks like from Taylor Jenkins, but um, teams got the talent to do it for sure. And, you know, the you could see LeBron was really tired. Now, part of it was I do believe he was conserving some energy. Um, that was a little bit of that was intentional, but you can also just see the series wearing on him too. I don't think I don't think he, as much as he's conserving energy, I don't think he meant to be as bad as he was in Game Five. And so, um, I think you'll get a, a little bit more of a rejuvenized LeBron. But still, you know, the longer the series goes, the more to the advantage of the Grizz, and, and that's something optimistic to look at. I think yeah, cool. when, when when you look at like over my lifetime, when when you look at fatigue, coaches and and basketball people that I've been around, they're like when when you're watching a player and you want to know if they're truly tired, watch their jump shot late in the game, and watch how much legs or how little legs they have in that jump shot, and when they have no legs in that jump shot. They're they're gas. They've got nothing left. And there were multiple times in that game where I saw 
LeBron just looked like he he there there was nothing left in the tank. Now I'm not sitting here acting like the game that he had at the forum is what LeBron is going to be. Like this is, I I know one of the guys, I don't know who it was. He mentioned, this is like one of the worst showings LeBron has ever had in a closeout game with, you know, 15 points, 10 rebounds, five assists. So I, I'm not saying that that is LeBron James, but he's 38 years old. He's got a lot of miles on his body. He only played 36 minutes in this game and he was gassed going into game six. He, he, yeah, maybe he was conserving a little bit of energy, but he, he doesn't have a 40 or 45 minute game in him. And I think that that gives, you know, Anthony Davis was struggling getting up and down the floor late in this game. Those guys are effective. Those guys are great players. But if the Grizzlies go to L.A. and they execute their game plan and they're in this game late in the game, I think fatigue is going to play a factor in this game six. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Uh, With the games being every other day now, uh, I think that definitely favors the Grizzlies because the Lakers, we talk about LeBron late in that game, and you could just tell uh, even in, in the second half that he got extremely passive. He was just kind of handing the ball off to Austin Reeves and letting him run the offense. He just he, – he was gassed. There's no question at the end of that game. And those guys had to leave there and go hop on a plane um, and fly all the way across country to L.A. Um, and, and you got Anthony Davis, who was a little bit banged up with the hip. Um, he has some stuff going on. He's always got some ailments. Um, I, I really think that's advantage Grizzlies. Um, and, and the Grizzlies were, were running those guys uh, late in that game. And I think when they got up and down, man, they, they can't play that for a full, like you said, 48 minutes. And there's a report – coming out that Eddie Davis has told Darvin Ham that he's willing to play a full 48 uh, on, on tomorrow night. And I'm like, I'm all for Dear Lord and he, baby Jesus, if, please, if that's a, if, Yeah, if please. that's a close game and he plays 48 minutes, he's going to be gassed down the stretch. And that's definitely advantage Grizzlies if he's not out there doing his thing. So I'm all for that, man. If those guys want to play 48, 47 minutes, man, it's all, I'm all for it because I feel like that's Grizzlies with their young legs. I think that's definitely an advantage. Um, and I mean, I, they're going to need the big three to to all all be on point. Um, I mean, we and we kind of saw that in game two as far as uh, John Morant and, and Jared. I mean, John Morant and Desmond Bain. I mean, sixty four points combined for those two guys, twenty rebounds uh, from those two guys, which I think is huge and something that does need to be ignored. And that's one thing I've been really impressed with in the series because I thought they get absolutely murdered on the boards going into the series, and that hasn't been the case at all. They've out-rebounded a couple games, and even when the games that they didn't out-rebound, like uh, last night, they were only off by two. They only lost the rebound battle 54-52, and a lot of that has to do with gang rebound, team rebounding. I mean, and to get 20 rebounds out of your backcourt, that's huge, and you also Jared threw in 10, that's 30, and off off the bench, uh, you had Aldama with five rebounds. You also had Luke Kennard with five rebounds, so you get 10 out of those two guys, that's 40 rebounds right there. From 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 four players, man. So that's that's the kind of effort that they need uh, because you can't let them beat beat you up on the boards, get extra possessions, and they actually tied them in offensive rebounds, fourteen to fourteen. So that's that's a big time job, man. When you going into this series thinking that you're on the size, you're, you're starting X to be able to hang with them on the boards is the reason why they've been able to stay in some of these games. And one one big indicator in this game is in both wins that the Grizz have had in game two and, and game five. 
Uh, they held the Lakers to under 100 points, 93 points in game two, 99 points in game five. So that's something to watch. Also, the team that won the first quarter has won every game in this series. So that's going to be important. I mean, you can't get out to the stars that they had in those first two games um, in L.A., man. You got to – because they're going to be – I think it's going to be very similar to what we saw in game three. Crowd's going to be ready. The Lakers are going to come out and try to throw a big punch. There's going to be a lot of energy. You're going to have to match that. You you can't let this one get out of hand like you did in game three. Yeah, because if you get behind an eight ball, man, in, in this one, you already know the, the, the calls probably aren't going to go your way in this one. You, you can't get behind the eight ball, man. It might be tough to come back in this one because they're going to they're gonna try to pack you up early. But if you can weather that storm, man, and keep keep these guys running and keep them having to play LeBron and, and, and AD these big minutes, um, I, I think, again, that's advantage Grizzlies. And these guys have the right mindset. I mean, X and Desmond both after that game said that they're coming back to the forum for a game seven in front of the best fans in the world, man. They seem serious about it, man. So this is a, a business trip, but I, I think they have the right mindset. And – I give them a great shot to do it because this team has been through a lot. If, if there's any team that can go in there and win a game like this, despite their struggles this year, I, I think this is a team. You can never, never count these guys out because they're going to fight. And, yeah, man, they're just due. They're too good of a team to just continue to lose road games like that. It's so weird to have the best home record in the NBA and then struggle the way they are on the road. You just feel like at some point, just even by luck, man, that's that's going to change, man. And hopefully that's tomorrow night. Yep. One thing we talked about when we first and really before we even knew what the opponent, who the opponent was going to be for the playoffs. When we were having a conversation about who's your closure, your closer um, down the stretch and particularly in the playoffs. And one thing I said was that most of the time Jaren's your closer, but against the Lakers, that the Luke and Dez combination was going to be what you should be closing with because they'd be able to face the floor better. Um, Dez and Luke both can make the free throws that need to be made at the end of the games. And Dez has been, had been a no-show um, up to the last couple games. Remember, he's had back-to-back 30 points. Man, it's huge. Huge games. And um, you're going to need that. You're, you're going to need Dez to do it again, really. But, I mean, you could offset that with a little bit more from Jaron. I think Jaron can do better. I think yeah. how long – a lot of people – some people, I haven't seen a lot of it, but some people have been hard on Jaron and accusing him of being disengaged. I didn't get the chance to talk about this in a lot of the last podcast because I saw some commentary about Jaron not looking engaged. And I'm not sure that the issue is Jaron not looking engaged because no. defensively he seems there. The effort seems there. He seems a little, you know, he struggles with AD. It's AD, man. That's what it is. Right. It's, it's AD. And, and even when AD is on the court, it's spacing. Right. And we've talked about that over and over to the point where it's almost a dead horse, man. But I'm going to give Jaron some slack in that. If you space the floor a little bit better, you'll see better better results from Jaron in terms of finishing at the rim. I really think you will because um, it makes everybody better. And we'll see if we see that adjustment made. But I think if you can get even just a little bit more from Jaron, uh, that goes a long way. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why AD feels like he wants to play those 48 minutes is because he knows when he's off the court, you know, Jaren's more likely to be better. Jai's more likely to be better. So the team is more likely to be better. But like you said, if that's their strategy, fine. Because <laughs> the fourth quarter is going to matter the most. They can just um, keep it a close game, like you guys said. So um, that's something to watch for. It, it's, it really seems to be um, something that's coming into fruition is that the closers in this the the people you lean on in this particular matchup, it needs to be um Dez and Kanarni, and I hope that um 
John recognizes that. We've seen a mixed bag from him in terms of how they're closing games. You've seen times where he has passed it out. Um, and sometimes Des just wasn't able to make the shot. I know that was the case um, in game five. Um, down the stretch, he got a few good looks, man, and just couldn't knock him down. I know he was he was tired at that point. Um, and at other times, he, he completely recklessly attacked the basket, and when he should have passed it to, you know, it was an outlet for him. Somebody was running the floor with him, and he definitely could have did something else, and he opted to, like, just do Jago get a bucket instead. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what they do in, in this, in this, you know, closeout game. And, um, if John will be aware of the fact that, you know, they're going to pack the paint against them and, and just running into AD, probably not going to be your best game plan, man. It's, it's just not. Um, so that, that'll be a key to watch as well. I was going to say real quickly, I was in a Lakers space earlier today and they were talking about what worried them the most, um, and you saw this a little bit in game five, is the non-AD minutes for them. When he does go out of the game, Taylor Jenkins has been playing Ja when he's out of the game, and that's been a problem for them because when he's out of the game, Ja can pretty much get anything he wants to, and we saw that in, in game five, and that's a counter that, that, that Taylor Jenkins did make. I'll give him credit when he does something that, that works, um, and, and I saw that in that game, and that works really well. So I think that's one reason why AD, like you said, is talking about possibly playing the entire game because it's a problem for them when he goes off the floor, and especially if you're going to have jaw. And I would try to, if I'm Taylor Jenkins, whenever they have by the game, I'm going to try to line it up if you can and have Jai and Jared on the floor, because I think they, they can get going a little bit more when he's off the floor. One thing I've noticed in this series is that they're so afraid of, of AD, even when like on rebounds, even when they have a rebound, they're shaky. They're, they're almost turning the ball over. Even when he's out of the game, it seems like they still, feel like his presence is there. Like that's how much of an impact that he has on on, on, on the game. So that's going to be interesting to watch. But I saw it a lot in game five. And when he was out of the game, they usually kept John on the floor, man. He was really able to get downhill in those spots. So I don't believe AD's going to play 48 minutes. I'll believe that when I see it, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm I'm just sitting here hoping that he does. But please do. <laughs> yeah, I, please do. Because I, I, I like that. for Like, he's probably, if he plays the first 36 minutes without rest, he's probably going to have 40 and 20 because he's been torching the Grizzlies. But when it comes closing time, that dude's going to be running with center blocks on the bottom of his leg. And, like and, and imagine if that happens and they win and the Grizzlies win and you had to go to fly to Memphis for a game seven and he's played 45, yeah. 48 minutes. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and that that's, I, I'm pretty happy with the way that, you know, I, I know Candace, you said that you've seen kind of a narrative of people are wanting more from Jaron, but he's averaging 19 and nine in this series. Yeah, I know. I don't, yeah. So some of that is inflated by the 31 points in the first game. Yeah. But even if, if you take that out, if you take that first game out, he hit 18, 13, 14, 18. And the rebound and has been there. Yeah, nine rebounds, five, which is not great, but fourteen and ten. Yeah, like you, you break that down, that's still pretty good numbers, and and probably the most impressive part of what he's been doing, he's averaging thirty eight minutes a game. Yes, that was a concern and, and, that we had about and, and is Jared going to stay out of foul mm-hmm. trouble, and it, it looks like okay, I know that. Uh, the maturation process does not happen overnight, but toward the end of the season, we saw some kind of dumb stuff from Jared and it's like, Oh man, the fouls are kind of raring their head again. 
And then here we are in this series and, and he's staying on the floor. And and that is at the beginning of this series, I was like, all the Grizzlies need Jaron to do in this series is play good defense and rebound the basketball. And I, I feel like he's doing that. I still think that that's the key. There are times like pick your spots when, when AD is off the floor, they've got nobody that can guard him. And, and the only, they still have nobody that can guard him when AD's on the floor, but AD won't match up on him. AD just is able to be the help defender that is able to slow him down. So when, when Davis is off the floor, let Jaron be a little more aggressive, but I, I don't know. Like, after that performance in game one, were you expecting more like, like were you expecting Jaron to average 25 and 10 in this series? Is that what, what you're looking for? And, and I don't know. I know you were just kind of mentioning it. Yeah. But, I think it's the efficiency. It's the finishing. I think it's, yeah. I think it's people a little frustrated when he's not able yeah. to finish over the top. But again, I, I attribute that a lot to spacing, but it is, he's been inefficient. In his I was going to say, if, if, if there's any critique, any critique that I would have of him, is the continued maturation process of passing out of double teams. That's yeah. the only kind of real critique that I would have for him in the series. But I think, I mean, just like we just got done talking about, just simply playing that amount of minutes. And, I mean, he's not even close to, to foul now. It's not like he's what? having four. Well, how, many, how many did he have last game? Five. He had five last He did five, have five? But, well, they, oh, he yeah. Had, but he, four, he, had, like, he had four or five he had, one other time. One other game. Yeah, he had four in game. Yeah, I think he had, he had uh, one, three, three and four. four. Yeah. 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 But so, you know, I mean, that, like that's he, remarkable, he had a though. flurry of them in the fourth, like yeah. when it got yeah. crazy. Yeah, but yeah. but that, that's yeah. pretty remarkable, man. For because I'm saying he used to pick up silly fouls and to be playing in a game at this level, this high level, going up against AD and you got LeBron in there for him to be able to stay on the floor like that, man. Who would have thought it? I mean, that was the biggest talking point coming into this series. I mean, when you were Laker fans and National media talk about this series, like, oh, Jared's not gonna be a factor because he can't stay on the floor. That's has not even been close to the case. So I'm super proud of him, man, for for that, for, for maturing into that because you would have thought for sure out of any series, this would probably be one where he would really struggle with that, man. And that has it not not been the case. And like you said, for him, the rebound numbers have been there. He, he had one that wasn't good, but all the rest of the games, he's been really good at it. He had 14 rebounds. What was that, game four? four. Uh, he yeah. had 14 rebounds? Yeah. I mean, that's a big-time number for him going up against AD. So – I, I I see a lot of people on him. It just seems like no matter what he does, it's never enough for people. I mean, you go out there and win DPOY. Uh, I mean, not fouling out in the playoffs. He's had a 31-point game in this series. And even though he hasn't hasn't had the, the most efficient offensive game, he's out there battling, man. I, I don't have a lot of issues with him. I mean, you would like to see that, that scoring number tick up a little bit tomorrow night. I think they're going to need all three of those guys, Job Bain and – and trip. If each one of those guys could get twenty plus, I think that's the kind of performance that you need. Um, and I think if you could do that, I think that puts a lot of pressure on the Lakers to, to score enough points. Because if you get that kind of performance from those guys, just need a couple other guys to, to step up. You hope Luke Kennard is good to go. Uh, they had a stinger late in that game on a a screen, hard screen set by LeBron James. Um, when they were getting on the plane today, he didn't have anything on that arm. So I guess that's a, a pretty good sign. Taylor Jenkins. When, when he talked earlier today, seems to think that 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 he'll probably be good to go. It is on his shooting side, so that's kind of concerning. But hopefully, he'll be able to go. Um, I think with a a game of this magnitude, if he can, if he can get out there and play, I think he'll be out there. But you're gonna need 
at least one other guy, whether that's Tyus, whether that's David Roddy, Santi Aldama, you're going to need a, a pretty good performance for some of those other guys. They can't be a no-show like they've been some of these games. I thought Tyus was about to break out, came out and hit a three, was super aggressive, and then kind of went right back to his struggles after that. Uh, what, what was his numbers here? It was uh, uh, one of four. four with three well, one of four from three, yeah. One of four but from three. He played good. It, that's he, he had a couple of turnovers, which is very uncharacteristic of Tyus. But, you know, he, he's he's a plus 12. He's plus 12. And that's why you, you need the bench to show up. And they, they haven't been. Rui Hachimura, Dennis Schroeder, every game – they have been showing up and producing. And then, DeAndre and Russell's the, really had a got a good series, and that's not something that yeah. you expected coming in. You, we we kind of joked about it, said he with us, and he has not been with us at, at all because <laughs> those those shots that he hit in Game Four, man, that's the reason why they won that game. Uh, but if he hadn't hit, you take one of those threes away, and they and they lose that game. That those were big. What he hit three in a row there before yeah. he fouled, and he should have fouled out before the end. That's the thing that 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 pisses me off when I look back on that game there was a play where he should have fouled out on they didn't call it then he hit those shots and then he fouled out so those were big shots but I think you talk about that bench and how important it is you look at Luke Kennard plus 26 highest Mm -hmm. on the team that lets you know how important he is to this team I think he's paramount to this team's success If, if he isn't even able to go I know a lot of people wouldn't look at that as a big loss but I think it's huge especially when you see how the other guys have been performing off the bench yeah, uh, to, to go back to your point about about Jaren real quickly is one thing I I talked about when we first started projecting him and previewing this this series was I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to stay out of foul trouble or not, but I was sure he was going to be able to play through fouls. And even when he does get in foul trouble, like for example, picking up some and a couple of those were silly fouls down the stretch, but picking up some of those fouls in the end he's still able to play the minutes and that and that's pretty much what I figured I figured you were still going to be able to get at least I was projecting with you know he played about average about 33 minutes and he had five fouls in each of the games so I'm like you should be able to get 37 38 minutes out of him um regardless foul trouble or not and and he's done he surpassed my expectations a little bit but even when like I said the close calls that's that's big because we used to complain about that a lot Taylor Jenkins not trusting him to play through the fouls and then him not proving that Taylor Jenkins should trust him to play through the fouls. And so it's good to see on both ends that that, that dynamic has worked out as well because he got five fouls and J- Jenkins kept him in the game in the fourth quarter. He didn't take him out for two minutes and put him back in. You just let him play through it, um, which is exactly what you want to see. But to go back to your point about the bench, uh, one thing that I think that Taylor Jenkins did differently was staggering those bench players a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure we saw as many all-bench lineups, right? I, I'm not even sure we saw any all-bench lineups last game. Um, and if so, it wasn't for long. So that's going to be important, too. I mean, even for Tyus, mix those guys in with some starters um, because they need that, right? You can't just bring in all-bench guys, especially in those minutes where AD's not on the floor, because that's when Taylor Jenkins used to do it. Those are minutes that you have to take advantage of. So a lot of times, at least in game five, I mean, sorry, in game six, wait, yeah, game five. In game five, it was um, Ja on the floor with uh, Santi or, you know, sometimes even Ja and Tyus together. You saw that a lot more, and I hope that that carries over. Because you gotta win those minutes, man, and you're not gonna win them with those all bench lineups. And we want to, we want Tyus Jones to step up, but I don't think that you can. I don't know. You got a big enough sample size that you know 
he can help you a little, but that you need some other guys with him. I think Ty has misses Brandon a lot um, in terms of the band. You know, I, I think he's still trying to navigate that a little bit. But uh, you still would hope that Tyus would be able to at least give you something from three more than he is. But uh, we'll see what they do if he can, if Taylor Jenkins can make those custom, uh, those coaching adjustments and take him on a roll with him. It's a good question. Uh, but it was encouraging to see what we saw in the last game. What did you guys think about Roddy over Conchar? Uh, I was kind of surprised he kind of went different and didn't really play Roddy and played Conchar um, in, in those minutes. What, what did you guys think about that? So he somebody actually asked him. Wait, I think you got it backwards there, right? Because you say he played Conchar over Roddy. Did did I did I hear that wrong? Is that is that, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, Sorry. he did. He did. Roddy Roddy didn't play at all uh, yeah. in, in Game Five. Yeah, I played, he played Conchar over Roddy. He had been playing yeah. Roddy and not Conchar. So he he talked about the he talked about. Um, Jitty's one-on-one defense being uh, being a little bit stronger, and his ability to rebound the basketball. You know, hey, look, he said he, he's not playing many minutes, but we know that he's going to go out there and he's going to play good one-on-one defense, and he's going to rebound the basketball. And that's, I think, that's what he was looking for more than anything. Like shooting wise, I think it's you know it's fairly close whenever you're talking about those two guys, but um. I think it was um oh gosh dang I just lost his name. I know who asked him the question about it, but I can't think of his name right now for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, I heard I heard it. I know the question. I heard it one day when he asked him. Uh I think personally for me, I think I would play Roddy. I mean, Roddy is knocked down threes. Uh, even though he's a rookie, I think with Taylor Jenkins, he probably feels like he can trust Contra a little bit more since he's uh more of a veteran guy. But man, Roddy didn't in his minutes that he played, he doesn't seem like he. it's been too big. The lights haven't been too bright for him. And I think the physicality of him, I like it better. Uh, kind of leaning on LeBron and some of those guys. I, I don't know, man. I, I think I trust him. I mean, it's only 10 minutes. Uh, Contral played 10 minutes. But in these playoff games, every minute is important. I mean, he wasn't like he was bad or anything out there. Just, just an observation, man. I, but I think for me, after what I'd seen the previous games, I think I would have stuck with Roddy. It was just kind of interesting that he kind of – went completely away from that and made a completely different situation because I didn't see anything from Roddy that made you think, okay, well, maybe we need to set him and play somebody else. Yeah, um, I agree with you, Isaac. I think I would go Roddy, too, if nothing else, because, again, shooting is really important in this game. And while Conchard does not have the three-point shot this year, hopefully we can find it in the offseason. But it's just – it's almost a guaranteed brick at this point. His shot left in November, and it's been gone since. Uh, at least from three. and But I did pull up the on-off numbers and uh, cleaning the glass, and it looks like David Roddy has the worst plus-minus, but I think that's a little skewed because David yeah, Roddy that... didn't get a chance to play last game. So two, it's skewed for two reasons. One, because up until now, Jenkins has been putting in a lot of all-bench lineups that have been getting smoked. And so this was the game again that he staggered those starters with the bench players a little bit better. And I think that's why John Conchars isn't in the dirt, in the dirt with David Roddy's. And, and because he didn't play him at all, he didn't have the opportunity yeah. to get, you know, to have that adjustment. I would have liked to see what that looked like prior to, but I don't have the option to filter that. At least I can't find the option to filter that prior to the last game. But yeah, for, for the same reason for spacing, 
think David Roddy's incapable of giving you rebounds. I don't think Contract is giving you he's not the superstar rebounder that he was last year. I mean, he he does okay, but I yeah, I, yeah, I yeah three, yeah, three or ten minutes. But yeah, yeah. I don't I, he's not the guy that people always he's gonna come out there and get all these rebounds. Yeah, he's gonna space the floor like he's not he hasn't he been that this year. I don't think David Roddy's I think David Roddy gets you one or two, like and, and as as has Jonah Contar giving you one or two. I just I think that when you add the 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 I mean David Roddy has been able to hit the shots more than Contar. And so I just defer to that. And um and I think the physicality of Roddy bothers some of the other yeah. players. Now sometimes he does get a he can kind of get some fouls and stuff because he's a little he's inexperienced and I guess John Conchar wouldn't foul as much, but yeah, I'm not sure that much that matters. I, I yeah. think he's more of a I think he's more of a threat too for the defense. Like you said, I think he has the space and they're not worried about Conchar at all taking right. a shot. You have to at least be thinking about Roddy. I mean if they watch the film because he's knocked down a couple threes in games, you have to at least be a little bit concerned with him. They're right. they're not even paying attention to Roddy. I mean right. Conchar. Yeah, you gotta you gotta respect it a little, or you gotta consider yeah. respecting it, right? So uh, that gives just a little bit more space than I think, because uh, John John Contrar had been able to prove anything in this series. And if I'm the Lakers, I'm not. Him, him, and Dylan Brooks can just shoot as much as they want. <laughs> oh, yeah, we we got to touch on Dylan Brooks. We got to touch on Dylan Brooks, man. I oh, yeah. got some we'll, thoughts we'll, on that for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely there. get there. Get, yeah, know, Rod, the Roddy, Roddy's five five for <laughs> seventeen. In the series from three, so he's not he's not shooting the lights out exactly. Like I, I get what you're saying. Numbers. Um, I, I don't have contract. Well, he's, he was over one. He was over one from three, which I was. I mean, I, he had a big shot. It was wide open. They needed. I was like, man, he's gonna knock this down. Wasn't even close. It's like, damn, Contrar. <laughs> but he he just hadn't been able to shoot the ball this year. I don't know what happened to his shot. But one thing I do want to mention, I can't believe David hadn't mentioned this. Something that's been. A struggle all year for this team. They've been excellent from the free throw line in the series. Uh, you yeah. get game one, 94%. Not so great game two at 76%, but 90%. Game three, 86%. Game four, 82%. Game five. And, and we kind of talk about that possibly being a problem in the playoffs. It has not. I mean, they've been really good. John's been really good uh, from the free throw line. All, all the guys really have. And that's that's a big plus. I, I, that's something that I think is kind of flown on the radar. When they've had opportunities to get to the line, they've knocked them down. I got you, David. Uh, John Conchar has not made a single three. Yeah, in I didn't think so. Three, three a attempts. Single one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I take five so. over the over. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Jitty has uh, fourteen attempts left before he gets. To the <laughs> yeah, same I knew he's gonna try. He's gonna throw that out there. But still, yeah. I, I just think the space. I, I, I get what. Yeah, I like. I, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you guys in the fact that I would prefer Roddy over Conchar, but I, I don't know. Like if I'm the Lakers, if I'm Darvin Ham, and David Roddy is wide open from three, I'm not pissed if he's shooting. Like did block eighty twice at the rim, so I guess I guess he earned those <laughs> minutes the other night. Yeah, hey, nice, I guarantee you, dude, that's my favorite part of the playoffs. So you earned them man. ten minutes, man. Yeah, that's how, I'm gonna get a big poster. Like I'm gonna have a mural of that block. Yeah, that was nasty, in my, man. <laughs> but you know, it's. If if Kennard cannot go, I saw. Did, did you guys see? Um, DeMichael Cole was talking about it. He said that he he talked to Taylor Jenkins yeah. about if Kennard is a no go, 
what's it going to look like? And he mentioned <laughs> Conchar and Tyus Jones. And, and he, he, he also <laughs> mentioned yeah. Zaire yeah. Williams. And and he listen, no confidence at all. Love terrifying to hear. Like, man, all well, that that gonna, man? like all that's gonna do for you is give you a defender that's long. Got that length out there, man. It sure as hell ain't gonna give you no spacing, bro. It ain't giving you no spacing. Man, man, going, man, coming out there going four, five, and three, man. The, the, as, ain't no as, far as, as far as they're sagging off of Dylan Brooks <laughs> in this series, they will not even look. You could park Z in the corner. There's Man. not gonna be anybody within thirty feet of that. At, at, at this point, I think I'd rather Zaire Williams shoot uh, corner threes than Dylan Brooks two uh, shoot threes. I, probably anybody in the world, maybe agree. at this point. <laughs> I gotta agree. I, I hate to say that, but I gotta agree. That's how bad it's been. I don't like seeing him shoot threes. I I really don't want him on the court because I just have that image of of, of Paul George just fouling him out basically in like two minutes. I, I have that ingrained in my head. I'm just worried that he'll uh, look like a deer in headlights out there, man. But um, that is not encouraging to me, uh, especially that he didn't mention Roddy. Because of those players, Roddy's only hit five. That's, I'm not saying that he's a great three-point shooter. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he's been better this series than all three of those guys he named from three. That's why I was surprised that he said Zaire and didn't say Roddy. I was like, Roddy in a doghouse or something? Like, what's, what's happening, man? Because when you name – the the next guy, and I was like, he named Zaire. I'm like, that's interesting. Yeah, that would be a disaster for you to roll out the guy you haven't played all series <laughs> just in in an elimination game. You're just gonna try him out there, boy. Zaire getting fifteen minutes tomorrow night. Y'all gonna have to give me fifteen minutes just to rant about Taylor Jenkins if he does <laughs> that. I'm just gonna be honest. So I want to like, I want to talk about Jenkins, and I, I want to talk about the adjustments. And some of the stuff that, that I have said on the, on the podcast and kind of where we were all pretty much universal in it. So the in between game adjustments, there's no doubt in my mind that Taylor Jenkins is sharp and he can go and he can watch film and he can make adjustments game to game. Do we see them very often? No. Not not really. We saw them in game five. You had to see something different in game five than what you've been seeing. The biggest thing for me, the, the biggest thing that scares me about him is his inability to make in-game adjustments. Yep. The I don't know if it is fear. I don't know if he's worried about messing up the psyche. I don't know what the hell it is. Boo knows her. But but please, for the love of God, somebody make sense of why in the hell Luke Kennard, like, yeah, the shoulder injury, fine. Before last night's game, Luke Kennard has been a massive <sighs> positive for this team anytime that he's been right. on the floor. Take me back to game four. He and Dylan, Dylan Brooks is he's a negative four in this series. Negative four is not a big number, but Dylan Brooks has been flat out bad. And, and I, I had a um, big ass, like 40,000 square foot mansion on Dylan Brooks Island. That's my guy, <laughs> but he's just been bad. You bench. Like Carl Anthony Towns was barbecue chicken Stephen Adams last season, and he did not hesitate to send his ass to the bench. But it's like 
Dylan Brooks has got some sort of blackmail voodoo. <laughs> like I, I, why? And and we were talking about it post game last night. If Luke doesn't get injured, does Dylan come back in that game? And the answer to that question is a thousand percent yes. There's zero chance that Taylor Jenkins leaves him on the bench for the rest of the game. And people give even him though the Grizzlies are cooking the hell out of him, are, are the the Grizzlies are cooking the hell out of Lakers without him on the floor. You you look at the score of the game when Dylan Brooks went to the bench was seventy five to seventy four. And then the Grizzlies went on like a twenty four to nothing run. Happened when twice. He goes to the bench. Yep. Like you are man, never mind. I ain't even I ain't even <laughs> wasting breath on it anymore, bro. You're getting paid to do this shit. If you can watch films film and make those adjustments, you should be able to watch the game in real time and see what the hell is not working. And if you're not seeing it, somebody else on that coaching staff should be in your ear. Hey, this dude is on his knees out there blowing the game. Get him out. <laughs> it ain't going to happen, man. This is glad, not- to hear you. glad to hear you say that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look at who his mentor is. I mean, if you watch the end of that Milwaukee-Miami game into overtime, just malpractice by yeah. Bootnoser in that game, and you see some of the same stuff, and I've talked to some Laker fans, and some of the same critiques that we have of Taylor Jenkins, they have the same ones about Darvin Ham, about not making adjustments, rotation issues. It's just that Bootnoser tree, man. They they're known for guys that they don't make in-game adjustments. They just kind of stick with whatever their idea of how a basketball game should be played. They just stick with that. It doesn't matter what's going on in the game. And I mean, it's one thing to do that in the regular season, but to continue that into the postseason and I mean, how at the magnitude of these games and just continue to do the same thing. It's just, it's idiocy. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand. It, it's, doing the same thing over and over, man, you're going to get the same results. That's just what's going to happen. And you look at this, I mean, Dylan Brooks was a minus seven in this game in a game that they won by 17 points. Everybody else is a plus in this game except John Conchar and Dylan Brooks that played minus seven, and he played 30 minutes. I mean, that – and you got John, you got uh, Luke Kennard's plus 26, highest on the team in, how I many 18 minutes. I mean, that's all you can look at. This is a time where plus minus tells the complete story. And with Dylan, I just – at this point, I've I've never been I've always been in between. I've never been Dylan Hader. I wouldn't necessarily say I was on DB Island either. But the that last game, game five, just was a straw that broke the camel's back, man, because it's just the same stuff over and over. The only thing that Dylan has to do, use it as a screener, screen a screener, get to the dribble pull up mid-range, uh, slash and play defense. If he did that, he would be a tremendous asset for this team. Uh, but he just continues to shoot the basketball. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy that misses as many shots as he does, but continues to take them. But you got to go. It has it goes back to, to Taylor Jenkins because he allows it to happen. So the, the, he's not innocent of this either. So both of those guys are, are at fault. Um, and and I, I just don't know what's wrong with Dylan because at some point I would just stop shooting if I was him. I would just stop shooting if I can't make any shots. I'm not going to continue to go out there and pull up for three, even if I'm wide open. Man, get to the mid range. It's there. It's there all the time, man, and he can just dribble because they're not guarding it. And it puts such a strain on the offense because you saw in the game they were doubling, doubling John, they were doubling Bain when he was in the game, and it just puts such a strain on the offense. And you put 
I mean, you, you remember that? What was that at the end of the that first quarter? The play where where Kennard or the second quarter going to halftime where Kennard hit that three. I mean, just some of the best spacing I've seen all year. How do you watch that and then go back to what you saw in the in the third and fourth quarter in this game? I just don't get it. And a lot of people were giving Jenkins credit. I was like, the only reason why that happened because Kennard got hurt. Like it wasn't like he made some big adjustment and he's gonna go right back to it tomorrow night. And if I'm him, if Kennard's healthy. And I said this a couple games ago. I would start Kennard and bring Dylan off the book bench. It's never going to happen, but that's that's what should happen. Start off with your death lineup, or what you want to call it. We saw a couple times in that game where he went to four guard lineup. One time in the first half, one time in the second half, and I loved it. I mean, that's for the best spacing that they had. If you want to gas AD, you you have to do that. You yeah. you need you need to run that lineup because. Start off from the beginning, man. I, I'm, I'm going to get on good. a small soapbox right here, and and talk about a three second call that was called late on the late in the game on Jaron. Go back and watch the film. I started watching this in the second half. Anthony Davis every damn play his motherfucking every damn play. LeBron every too. Play. Sorry, every like play. it just it he parks in yep. the paint. Yep. And they never, never call, call it. it. Never call it. And, and now, listen, I know that sometimes he clears, he does what he needs to do, but there is so many times that they can call defensive three seconds in, in the key on yep. him, and they don't do it. And the only time that they chose to make that call last night was it was on the offensive end. It was on Jaron. And I'm like, why? Why are you calling that now? Anthony Davis, at, at the end of that um, – was it the end of the third that Jai got downhill like he crossed up Schroeder and made the layup? It was either the second or the third. Jai, like, there's 17 seconds on the clock. Anthony Davis is in the paint the entire time. Yeah, the entire time. nobody around Nobody, nobody close to Nobody. Him. And they don't call it. Yeah. Nothing. And it just... It drives me crazy. Like, it made me cuss on here. I don't ever use that word on here, so I apologize. But like, it's 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 insane to me, like how when they choose to actually pay attention to that stuff. Didn't yeah. mean to yeah, interrupt I mean, your point. It, it, well, I was gonna say, yeah, man, you you completely. I mean, it was going on all series. LeBron too. There have been times where LeBron has been in there just parked, um, and, and not 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 moving. It's crazy, man. How they decide to make certain calls. Like you said, it's been going on all game, and then you decide to call that on Jaron. It's, man, I, I don't know, man. I'm not even going to get into that, how officiating, how it's different, how they make certain calls at certain times and then switch up and make another call on a certain team, and you can go back and look. Those are the people on the other team have been doing the same thing all game, and they've never called it. it it's wild, man. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wanted to we, go back. We, yeah, we were talking about DB, and – you look at his his performance in this series, two for nine, two for six, one for five, one for seven, two for ten. It's at 22%, 21.6% from three. Man. They're just sagging off of him. His strong suit over the, the course of his career has been the mid-range jumper. As far as they're sagging off of him, why does he not dribble penetrate? Every every time he's and, wide open right there for him. Yeah. Like <laughs> just dribble penetrate. Dribble penetrate and look for your teammates. Your shots aren't falling. Become a playmaker. 
there was early, we, we, we talk about adjustments. And one of the things that we talked about is like when they were coming down the floor and the shot clock was running down that Dylan seems to find himself on that right wing a lot. And early in the game, they had Dylan parked in the corner and I'm like, ah, Taylor's listening to the podcast. He moved Dylan out of that spot. And then as the game progressed, that kind of changed. And he went back to that right wing. And I was like, ah, I was hoping that that was adjustment that they made, but they didn't. <laughs> I, I just, there are so many things that he could do that it's better with the ball than to just chuck up the three. So, I mean, this man be actually calling for the basketball. It's what, what really pisses me off. He he calls for the basketball at times. I'm like, man, come on, man. And Ja feeds him, and and every and, time, and 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 in lieu of Luke Kennard all the time. Bain is one of the only ones I've seen him just look off Dylan. But I mean, everybody gives it to him. But Ja's <laughs> coming after the game. Said today, talking about how important Luke Kennard was. That's what Ja said after the game. Right, the, the audacity. Uh, <laughs> the audacity was when I read that. And I said, "Wow, that's bold." Um, so, what's funny is to me, I know we talked a lot about D'Lo and him being with us, man. But Dylan Brooks with them, like, it's just that bad. It, it's getting to the point where it's it's unavoidable because he's not playing good defense. I know everybody says just play your role, but they've moved him off of it. If you pay attention. A lot of those, uh, as the as the series has progressed, they move X on LeBron more, which they should do because X is the best defender on LeBron right now. And they move Jaron more on AD. And sometimes Dylan will take AD because for whatever reason, that's yeah. been a thing hey, now. Yeah, yeah, they kept getting him. He kept I'll, tell, up on I'll tell you how that, that works. The, uh, the, the DB plays physical, and Anthony Davis can't handle that. Yeah, he, he did a pretty good job on him sometimes like, where he got switched on him. He did a really, really pretty good job of stopping him at the rim. He had him yeah. at one of nine, but it, it, it changed last game. Anthony Davis was six of 18 now with, with Dylan Brooks yeah. guarding him. So he got some shots off, but it's still, uh, it was still one of his best defensive jobs, Dylan Brooks on everybody. Because, because AD is, is, is really soft. Like people look at him like he's this big physical presence and he is when he gets going. But if you body him up and put hands on him, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like right. that at all. But they hadn't, they even kind of took him off of AD. So they had him on Reeves more often in game five. And so if he's not adding value on defense, he's, he's almost not unplayable. adding value on, because Reeves is tearing him up because he's just going to get a foul. Like, I mean, if you breathe on Reeves anyway, he's going to get a foul. Yeah, he was, he was cooking him. Floppy you. But, but yeah, I mean, Reeves is eating him up all series anyway. So again, if you're not adding the defensive value and you're a, complete liability to the point of that is an advantage for the other team to have you on the court. I mean, at this point they would give Dylan the MVP if they, (laughs) (laughs) it's really that bad. And I saw a quote that just made me almost cry. Um, They they asked, he Dylan was asked about what does he do when his shots not going, you know, how does he get in the rhythm? Essentially was, I think it was Tim McMahon who asked him the question. Dylan's response was to just keep shooting. Yeah. He said a game coming, man. It's coming. One of these games, he said. One of these games is if there's there's it's not any <laughs> like he got games left. If there's there's only one game left. You have to win this game in order to make it another game. And so it, it my response was he's becoming a terrorist. Because at that point, I'm just, <laughs> it's really bad, man. Yeah, like, offensive man. terrorist. <laughs> he old he old T and I ain't talking offensive <laughs> 
It's getting oh, bad. Man. And I I too going into the season like Isaac was pretty neutral. Like if if he if he if he did great, I give him props, right? Like I like I'm I was never one of the people that felt like Dylan brings no value because I, I disagreed with it. I think he he brought great value. And in most series, he's able to stop the best player. This is just not his series, and that's fine. If they were to get past this series and play the Warriors, he'd be needed a hundred percent. But also know you gotta play the best players, man. And Taylor Jenkins is what frustrates me the most about the DB situation, not just that he won't start Luke, because I, well, I mean, DB is really not really, he's not under contract right now. So I'm not sure why you feel the need to play K, but I guess let's assume that as a coach, you're assuming he'll be back. There's a solution to this. And that's just make Luke the first man off the bench and close with Luke. Because that's not the, Taylor Jenkins used to do that. I mean, he used to just go with the best five. And so sometimes, now generally Dylan was in that best five, but not all the time. Every now and then you'd see him not, you know, it was rare. But again, it, it's something that's a precedent. So in the playoffs, like, hey, Dylan, fine. You want to start him? Start him. Bring Luke out early. And then when, he, when you close games, bring him out too. Now, I don't think Dylan needs to really play at all, but I get you got to give your guys a rest. Um you can play him against the best lineups. He'll probably do all right in that. But that, that's the best adjustment that I think Taylor Jenkins could make realistically, right? Like, we know he's not going to start Luke. But if he did that, at least close. And if you didn't do anything else, you got to close with Luke. You just have to. Because Ja can't do anything if they if, if he's being doubled every single play or bang. Because that happens. Yeah. And that. That that's exactly what's happening. Like whoever, when Dylan is on the floor, whoever is his assigned defender, yep. is essentially double team and double team Bain or Jaw. Who yep. whoever has the ball that they're getting the double team, and that's playing into what the Lakers want to do. I I, I would love to not get a coach speak answer and somebody be like, why? I know what it is. Why, why did? Why do you have the stones to bench Stephen Adams, but you will not bench Dylan Brooks? He ain't got I I, I know he's placating. That's exactly what he's doing. That's, like, what, I, that's I, the only explanation for it. There's no basketball explanation that he can give that makes any sense because anybody a remedial level basketball watcher would understand that that's a problem. Like it, there's no question. He's too smart to watch this and say, yeah, this is fine. Like, I just, I can't see that if he, if he does, he doesn't need to be coaching, coaching. Like he needs to be out of here. He can't, if he really thinks that's okay, what we're seeing out here, I, he needs to be out of here to, yesterday. Like he, he, I don't want him as my coach. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see, but it's got to be, he's scared to hurt his feelings. That has to be what it is. I guess he's the culture guy on his team supposedly and he's been here the longest and he John loves him the guys like him and he just doesn't want to upset him that's the only explanation I have for it and it might be more about Ja because Ja does love him that's a good point yeah he loves him that's his guy might be not one yeah bro but Ja has a basketball IQ these guys talk all the time about wanting to win and sometimes you just have to realize that you're not the best option whenever it comes to winning. And right now that that's not, I, I, this pains me to have this conversation 
because I know that Brooks can bring value to this team. It hasn't happened in this series at the level, at any level, but I know that he can do that. We we have watched him do that. The Utah performance, the efficient that that is like um that's bubble Jamal Murray. That that's what that is. It's it happened one time and it's never happening again. I don't expect that version of Dylan Brooks to just show up one day. I've seen enough from him. There's plenty of tape to know that the version of Dylan Brooks that is Dylan Brooks is closer to what we're seeing right now than what we saw in that series against Utah. It's it's the hair, man. Yeah, I said like, earlier this season. You can't. You can't. <laughs> no, it's not the hair. I think he. I think when he broke his wrist, he, he changed. I mean, his shooting form was never consistent. But I think him breaking his wrist. Yeah, if you, if you watch, if you watch his shooting form, it's bad. Like the right. way he holds the basketball. I was watching some film the other day, and uh, watching him. I think he's shooting around before the game, and he has a weird form on his shot. I think that's part, definitely part of the problem. He needs yeah. to work on his on his shooting form for sure. His shooting form has, has regressed since. Yeah, it's it's it was it had gotten better and it's bad. Like I was watching him think shoot free throws and it was the way he holds the basketball. It ain't it ain't good, man. It ain't pretty. Yeah, but just, and this will be my final point on it. But Coach Jenkins has talked about the maturity of the team. Um, he has mentioned that, and I, I think you kind of see some of that play out play on the court, particularly with the job, because I know, like you said, he has basketball IQ. I don't think it's about basketball IQ. I think. He looks off Luke because that's not his guy. And he wants DB to make sure. I think it's almost like sending a statement, right? The way he passes the ball to Dylan, I think I think it has to be a statement at this point. He likes Luke on the floor for the purpose of him getting space. Yeah, but he does not. He he would rather give DB an opportunity. It's almost high school clickish stuff, right? Like, I'm in with you, so I'm going to feed you the ball because you're my guy. I think it's more that. Yeah, and, and he knows that he reads all this stuff and they hear all this stuff about Dylan and his struggles and he wants to get his guy going. Like, yep. I'm going to get you shots, man. And I, I definitely think that that's a part of it. I, I think Ja has a lot to do with because you don't want to piss him off. I think Taylor Jenkins yep. thinks that if he takes him out the floor, he's going to piss Ja off. He probably will. I think it's legitimate. That's legitimately a thing. I think Ja would be pissed, but Ja will be all right. I mean, enabling Ja is the last thing this team needs. Yeah, I'm just trying to win. Like I said, this is not about enabling or placating to a to a guy's feelings. You're going out yeah. there trying to win basketball. That's that's your job as a coach, man. I I get it, and job ja, ja be fine though. If they win games, I think job ja be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they all will, and that's what you know. As volatile as as Dylan could be, and I know that there was some friction, like going back to the stuff with. uh JB and um, him playing. Man, I can't. I can't remember the dude's name. Who were they starting uh, over him? Garrett, Garrett Temple. Yeah, yeah. Like starting Temple over Brooks. Like I know that there was some stuff that that kind of went down there. But man, if Stephen Adams can suck up his pride and support the team, you should be able to do the same thing. This period, like. It, it, you, there is not a player on this team. Tillman has been fantastic, but there is not a player on this team that you can make an argument for as a better starting center than Steven Adams. And he was getting cooked. So 
when he got sent to the bench, that's what he done. He was still up cheering, rooting on his guys, being a teammate. And it, well, I'm not even going to say if I know it's not happening, but if it, if it were to happen, you should be the same way. It should be more of the same and not this, Oh, poor pitiful me. <laughs> like you're trying to win a playoff series. Yeah, yeah. At some point you got to have self-awareness. Like he, he knows that he's struggling. Like he, you looking at these numbers at some point you got to say, well, this might not be best for the team. I'll, I'm willing to go off the bench. I'm going to be a good teammate. That's what you should do. Just like you talked about with Steven Adams. He realized that he was struggling, getting cooked. They put him to the bench and he's the biggest cheerleader on the team. Like wasn't, didn't seem to be pissed off or anything because he knew it was best for the team. And if they were winning games, he's happy. And that's the same thing I would expect out of Dylan. But if, if it happens, that's not the same thing you're going to get out of Dylan because he's just a different kind of guy than, than Steven Adams. But you got to have some self-awareness at some point. And that's the thing that I don't understand. I just don't understand a guy missing shots as bad as he does, just continues to take them every time. I mean, he's looking for shots. He's coming down on fast break, pulling up from, from three and right. you know, you're not making these shots. I just don't get it. It's just like, it's something in his head. ain't right. Like he ain't wired. Right. I don't know, man. It's, it's just weird. And again, that's part of that's on him, but a lot of it's on Taylor Jenkins, as I said earlier, to allow him to continue to do that. Yep. Uh, unshakable confidence badge is hall of fame. Man, that man, green, that's green light of that man's head, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> I I wanted to talk a little bit about X. You know, he, he's done a great job in the series, but the the fan disdain for Dylan Brooks and what he's been doing really overshadowed the fact that X smoked a lot of shots at the rim last night. I was sitting there watching. And when it, when he would get downhill and he would miss, he would like little four foot bunny just kind of, I don't know, like lost his touch, and he he made a couple late in the game and kind of redeemed himself a little bit. But there was a stretch there. Any time that X would get the ball, I'm like, well, here comes another miss at the rim. That were did you guys catch any of that during the game? Like him yeah, awful yeah. finishing. I, I yeah, I get. I think it's the AD effect. Like I, I said earlier, I think even when AD's not in the game, it just seems like even on rebounds, like when they clear the rebound, they're fumbling the ball. It just seems like they're spooked at the rim. And I think a lot of that has to do with that. I mean, they've gotten shots blocked, and I think they're just kind of having the yips on some of those shots. I think they rush them a little bit, and I think that's what you saw. He eventually settled in, but he had, I mean, several in that first half, that point blank. Uh, like two, three, three or four foot shots that he just missed, and there was just no reason for it. And, and again, I just think I've seen guys, multiple guys do it. It's not just X. There were a lot of bunnies missed. Uh, Tyus Jones has missed some on those floaters. I just think they're kind of scared to go in there. They've, they've had so many shots blocked by AD. I think they worry about that, and it's in the back of their mind anytime they get easy shot like that. Yeah, it seemed like he fumbled the ball a lot. Like he, he's only credited with one turnover, but I just. It just seems like when he would get the ball, he would just kind of fumble with it. And and maybe we ended up like recovering it. So that's why he's not credited with a lot of turnovers. But that happened a few times too. I'm just like, he just looks so even catching the ball, he looks so uncomfortable tonight. And um so that that was a big factor. Like you said, I think he started, I mean, eventually he just started dunking it just to so he wouldn't have to worry about smoking the layup, which I think is a good decision. Um I hope that because he had a bad game and a game we won, 
you know, because he, he's sort of been a up and down. I think you've seen some of the best of Tillman in this series, and I think you've seen some of the reason why he was a third-string center in this in the series. And so my hope is he can be on the upswing kind of when they need it the most. And uh, I think that's possible for sure, because I think I don't, I'm sure he's not happy with the way he played. And he, I don't, I just, what I've seen, his interviews, um, he's not satisfied. I'm sure he'll make the proper adjustments to do better in game six. So I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time being negative about him at all. Because, like you said, this was a guy that was your fourth big. I mean, coming into the season, they were telling him that he wasn't even going to be in a rotation at all. Um, he volunteered to go down to the G League. So, for him to be starting and playing major minutes, I mean, even in this game, we're saying it's a down game, but you're talking about a guy that was your fourth big at 8.6 rebounds, four assists, uh, still efficient, 14 from the floor, uh, 31 minutes plus 11. I mean, that's a pretty good job going up against AD. Uh, I mean, I so I can really can't complain about him. He did miss some bunnies, but I think he's done a yeoman's job for what you could expect for a guy like that playing in this series going up against AD. So I, I mean, I, shout out to him, man. I think he's done. I think he's been really good. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And like when Candace mentioned that, you know, he started dunking it so he wouldn't smoke it, and like my mind went to the scene in anger management. The dude that's listening to the basketball game, he's got the the one wide yeah. headphone in, <laughs> and he starts like grunting, like you gotta talk that shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I felt like up there when he kept smoking those layups. I'm like, why not just dunk it? Why why not just dunk the ball? Oh yeah, sorry. I'm, like I'm still in third grade. Sometimes you'll have to excuse me. <laughs> no. We, Game six tomorrow night in Los Angeles, where we've talked about it. The Grizzlies have been just awful. And it's funny, Taylor Jenkins referred to it in his, his post-game presser. I want to find the quote because it was I kind of laughed a little bit when he said it. Um, Sorry, I, I'm reading the notes here. So if you guys want to fill in for me, you can. But he was talking about how they haven't won on the road. Yeah, you like like Isaac said, man. You gotta hope for a regression to the mean. That's what that's what you gotta hope for. I mean, really, uh, considering that this team did a really good job on the road last year, they really did. That was kind of their thing. Is they yeah. I talked about it. You know, good teams went at home, great teams went on the road, and they just made a complete one eighty man. And uh, it's not that they don't have the talent, man, because a, a lot of the players are still on the team and they've all grown in various ways. Uh, development wise and so I think it's a head thing I do think that it's a you know kind of speaks to the you know this team didn't used to be an immature team they used to be a confident team but they didn't really used to be an immature team but I don't know what shifted and and I I think I, 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 I think just a lot of the the outside stuff the outside noise the job situation happened and then this narrative has come out there about them and I think they they hear this stuff, and I think that worries them. I, I think they care about – they try to pretend like they don't, but I think they, they care about a lot of the stuff that the national media is saying about them, and I think it's gotten their head a little bit, and I, I think it's just a lot of that, uh, the, the outside noise that they're hearing, um, and they're trying to, I guess, think to try, try to not be what the, what people are saying they are, and I, I just think it got in their head this year because, like you said, this used to be a poise. That's yeah. one thing that you can say about this team, poise, yeah. confident. 
when they said something, they the ninety percent of the time they back it up. Yep. And that just hasn't been the case this year. They've awesome. talked a lot and come up small. Like you go back to that Christmas game against Golden State, which that game still pisses me off to this day. Um, I mean, all summer you're talking about that game and just came up super small. I mean, Golden State had guys out that game and just came out and got the doors blown off. And that that kind of I think started yeah. kind of the spiral of some of this stuff that we're talking about this season. That I think that was the moment where some of the stuff kind of went the wrong way um, after that game. But I yeah, agree. it's but, yeah, it, it's time for them to, to to take care of business, man. And like you said, your season's on the line, man. Go out there and change this this trend of losing on the road, um, and because you you have the talent. This to me, like I've said, and the reason why I'm I'm confident, and I've said this time and time again, is because even without Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark. I feel like the Grizzlies are the better team. And and I've said that on Twitter and I've had Laker fans and I mentioned laughing like you down three, one, ha, ha you going to say we're the better team. If you look at these games, I mean, game one, even though you look at that final score, it looked like the Lakers blew them out. That was like a one point game with like three fifty to go um, in that game. They just kind of ran off, had about four or five possessions in a row where they just got run outs at the end of the game when it was over and they ended up getting dunks and layups kind of inflated that score. You have an overtime game, in game four, this could easily be three two uh three uh three three two grizzlies or even even be over four one grizzlies. Uh if those, some of those things bounced the other way. So even though they were up three one, they really had dominated in the series the way that would sound. So if the Grizzlies put together a, a full forty eight minute game and play have a peak performance versus the Lakers peak performance, I think the Grizzlies win. And that's why I feel like they have a chance. Doesn't doesn't mean they're gonna go out and do it, but they definitely can. It's not like you have a three because you look at the numbers and how many teams have come back from three one. Reason why that is usually if you down three one, that means that team is a lot better than you. And I don't feel like that's the case here. I just feel like the Grizzlies had some some self inflicted stuff that have happened and haven't had a complete game. And if they do that, they're the better team. And I, I think they can win this game and again come back for game seven. Crowd's gonna be crazy. Um, like I said, they haven't lost but seven games at FedEx Forum all year. Um, I, I give them a really good chance of winning that game, man, if they can get it back here. Uh, so it's one game at a time. You you won the first one, game five. Got to go on the road and change that trend and get your biggest win of the season. Um, and I, I think they're capable of doing it. Yeah. But and, just, well, I, 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 I'll get back to David. Just real, real, I just wanted to, to – to your point about the maturity, I guess my main question is I understand that the noise is getting in their heads, but a lot of that was immature decisions leading up to the noise. So yeah. I, For sure. I, that's why I say I wonder what shifted because I mean there wouldn't be as much noise if it wasn't for the immature decisions that led up to the noise. So it, that's what I wonder what changed, and that's that's probably a rhetorical question nobody's really going to have to answer. I, I, I was going to say I hate to, to get back into this, but I wonder behind the scenes how much of the the Josh situation, how long had that been going on? Had that been something yeah. that was bubbling under the surface? And we right. just didn't know about it. That's right. the question that I have. Maybe they had some stuff going on and just were kind of hiding. And we didn't know that had been something they were dealing with. Because you talk about the Stephen Adams team meeting. If yeah. he called a team meeting, that probably means that they had been having some issues with this before. So right. maybe that played into it. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Back to you, David. I know you would. Oh, yeah, no, I, I was trying to find that post game quote from Jenkins, but they, they definitely left some of it out whenever they, uh, they they typed it out, so I'm I'm gonna read what he said. But well, one thing you you mentioned, kind of them hearing the national media. I don't know that it's the national media 
so much as it is the local media. You know, Giannato wrote that uh, wrote that article, and then one of Jaw's responses. Yeah, he clapped back at him. <laughs> yeah, quoting exactly what he said yeah. in the article. You know, I've, I've got to be more uh, more mature and and live up to this pedestal that people have me on. And like I, I understand as as we, we talked about. Giannata was one of the guys that made comment about him not taking questions and Jeff was another guy. And we're like, you know, that feels like, uh, that he doesn't owe you anything, but as somebody that that's your job, you're going to have to write tough stories. Sometimes you're going to have to be critical of these guys. So it's, you're in a tough spot. You, if you're just a yes, man, you're not doing your job. And I don't know, like, this is not me, like, tossing out support to Giannato. I don't know him. I've read some of his work. Some of it's good. I'm sure that he does a great job. So it's not a, you know, hooray for him or a bashing him. But I, I just thought, I, I feel like when the the national media says it, it's like I, they're not watching us. They don't know. But when the local guys say something, then that's when you really see them clap back about it. Yeah, I'll I push back a little bit because their road issues have been an issue all season and Giannato wouldn't write in articles back in October or December. So I'm I'm not sure that it's just that. Uh, I know that they do pay attention to both uh, because, I mean, the whole Skip and Jaws made several references to Skip Bayless. So it's both for sure. But um, I, maybe it hurts more with the local media. You might be right about that part. But that had, they hadn't got a lot of local media pushback until – some of the stuff, some of the issues did start start showing up. I mean, really, I think before the end, everybody was pretty supportive. And, and I'm going to say, I think I think personnel uh, per, personally played a part in it as well. I think people undersold losing veteran guys in, in Kyle and Melt. People say it didn't have an impact. I, I think it had an impact, especially early. I mean, you they they got out to a good start. Like I think a lot of those the rookies, when you talk about Laravia, those guys really started off those first few games like it was going to be fantastic. And then they kind of regressed to the mean off the bench a little bit as the season went on. I, I think being younger on the bench, I think also played into it as well. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, I, I would agree. I definitely agree with that. And I think for Ja, I think the milk thing in particular, I think that they were, they were really good friends and it may be why he looks off Luke Kennard so much. I don't know. I just, at some point you guys start coming up with other reasons because it ain't basketball. It is beyond basketball in terms of the logic of that, that whole dynamic, man. It's, it's a lot of stuff going on under the surface, and the Grizzlies have a they got they got to focus on one game at a time. Um, but you hope that this 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 offseason can be pivotal for them, uh, checking out some of that stuff. And and, I, and I've noticed this, and it's not saying there's anything to it. It might be a coincidence, but when they do the walk off interviews, every time Luke does a walk off interview, they don't yep. surround him like they do everybody else. John did come over there one time and do the parade inside by city. But anybody else, when they do their walkout interview, they're like the whole team's over there. You got three or four guys over there. For some reason with Luke, they don't do that. I guess maybe he's just a new guy and they aren't as close to him yet. But I, I have noticed that. I thought it was weird. It was just something that caught my attention. It might not be anything. It might just be a coincidence. He's the new guy and they're just not, hasn't gotten that comfortable with him or anything. But I did notice that. Like, I think he's done it like three times and it was kind of the same thing every time. 
So, yep. uh, all right, it could be something. It could be that he's a prick in the locker room. I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, like that. That that's what I'm saying. It, yeah, it goes two ways. Yeah. yeah, it could be. It could be absolutely nothing, and it's just they haven't had that time to to build the chemistry there. Or it could be the opposite, and he's just not a good guy to have in the locker room. Yeah, you know, the the skill set that he has, and the way that that Clippers team is built. There's zero reason for him not to be getting played. No, oh, that team makes perfect sense for the way that they play. Like, why yeah. would he be playing? Like, it, it, make, you, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to dig too far into that. We're, we're just going to say that they haven't had time and, and, and go with that. But uh, getting game six tomorrow night, Los Angeles. Hopefully, the Grizzlies can get it to game seven. We appreciate you guys tuning in. We will be back with a post game. I mean, Maybe well, probably not tomorrow night, honestly, because that's a it's a nine thirty tip. The two California teams get the early tip. Yeah, make no and, sense. And the one team by the Mississippi is going to have to wait till ten o'clock to watch their team start playing and try to get Lakers extra rest, man. Every minute mm-hmm. they can give them, that's what they're uh, what they're doing. <laughs> anyway, so you can get the show on Twitter at Ethos Grizzlies. I'm at NBA D Will Two One. Yep, Grizz got to fight for their life, man. Fight for their life. Uh, they put put together a strong game. They definitely got the talent to do it. So, uh, looking forward to seeing that. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at CandiceH901. Isaac, take us home. Yeah, man, I feel I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about it. Like I said, man, they are overdue uh, for a road win and regressing to the mean there and backs against the wall. Uh, this team has shown resiliency uh, over the years and big spot, keep your season on the line. And as Dez the next said, man, bring it back to the M. Uh, 191 bill on Sunday. I uh, hope we'll be talking about a game seven. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore underscore NBA. That's I-S-A-C underscore underscore NBA. You can get the show at Ethos Grizzlies. Go over there and give us a like and a follow. Um, get get ready. Uh, big night uh, in, in, in the 901 tomorrow night. Big game. Hopefully the Grizzlies come out with a victory. And we'll got you covered, man. Make sure you tune in for the next edition of the Ethos Wisdom Podcast. And until next time, we go. And that will conclude our Sports Ethos presentation. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.